Let's bring him in now. Hall of Famer, the one, the only, Drew Pearson. Drew, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Paul. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, Drew, because of the whole COVID-19 protocols and everything, you knew a few weeks ago that you were going to be in the Hall of Fame. How difficult, how hard was it for you to keep that secret? Yeah, it was very difficult. You know, that's something I've always wanted, you know, that <laughs> to hear those words that you're in the Hall of Fame and you're kind of excited and you're thinking about who you're going to tell first, who you're going to tell second, third, fourth, fifth, and all that. And then they tell you, you got one thing, one thing we're asking you is to hold it. And we're swearing you the secrecy to hold it until we announce it uh, actually the Saturday before the Super Bowl. So it was very difficult because a lot of people were calling and asking and uh, wondering if I knew. And, you know, Paul, I don't like to lie to anybody. So <laughs> it was kind of hard uh, uh, to hold it in. Who was the first person you told? Actually, I ended up telling my, uh, my three kids. I got them on a Zoom call. And my oldest sister, I, there was six, uh, seven of us growing up. Okay. I had six bro brothers and sisters. I only got one sister left. She's my oldest sister. She told me not to call her the older sister. She <laughs> called her the oldest sister. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I uh, Zoomed with them and told them and swore them. They made, I swore them to secrecy. Okay. So I made them not to tell. And they couldn't even tell their kids, my grandkids, my nieces and nephews. And so, uh, and, the, and the good thing, the great thing about it, Paul, is I wasn't the only one. All of us had to hold it. Right. And all of us couldn't. And we all did a great job <laughs> of doing that because it didn't leak out anywhere. Right. You know, I had my kids uh, search social media, see if it was out there somewhere. And they said, you know, they haven't, they haven't seen it. It hasn't come across. So, uh, you know what that shows you, Paul? That shows you what kind of class I'm going in with. You For know, sure. these guys with character. For sure. You know, you tell them something and uh, you can trust them to keep it, you know, uh, trust them to do what they say they're going to do. And so that's what's pretty cool about that. Did all the secrets start to get to you a little bit? Pardon me? Having to, you know, keep a secret like that. Did it start to get to you a little bit? Oh, absolutely. You know, so, you know, I had to do some. Newspaper articles, too. Some uh, reporters call me to know and how I feel and I'm in, if I'm nervous and all that going into the Super Bowl to find out. And so, you know, I know a lot of these guys because I've been around here a long time. I've worked in the media in all areas of media around here from print ad to uh, radio and TV. So, uh, you know, everybody's calling and trying to find out and they want to do articles and you know, again, Paul, I don't like to lie to anybody, so I had to dance around some things. Okay. And then I had to swear uh, two sports writers to secrecy as well, because after I did an article with them, I, I didn't feel right. So I called them afterwards and told them, I said, I only got to tell you if you're, if you're going to keep this to yourself, you can't scoop it, you know? Right. And so they did. They did. And, uh, but yeah, it was very hard. You know, especially a lot of family members, you want to tell your grandkids and, and all that. You want to blast it to the world, actually, For because sure. you've been waiting so long to say it and to feel that and to be in that class. 
So, yeah, he just wanted to tell everybody. But, you know, we held our tongues and uh, it surprised every. Well, I guess it didn't surprise anyone because we had a lot of first round ballots, first ballot guys go right. in uh, with my class. And a lot of people anticipated Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson and Calvin Johnson going in on the first ballot. And I was the only senior nominee, so they anticipated that. And then uh, Tom Flores is the only uh, coaching uh, nominee uh, in that category, and Bill Nunn in the contributor. So there wasn't much suspense going in uh, to a lot of people that really know the game and uh, had you know kind of expected right. what, uh, what they expected to happen really, really happened. What was your initial reaction when you found out? I started crying. I was uh, surprised because the way they did it. I found out at the Cowboy headquarters, uh, Roger Staubach and Jerry Jones were in on it. And I went over there for a meeting that they called me in for. And uh, we were talking a little business. And then there was a knock on the door. And Jerry Jones <laughs> told me to go answer the door. And when I answered the door, uh, David Baker was there filling up the door well. And uh, he came in with a camera crew behind him and said, uh, after I got over the shock, because I knew he wasn't coming here to tell me no uh, bad news because uh, I don't think he'd want to see me. If he told me something bad, <laughs> I'd be a little upset. Uh, but anyway, he came in there and told me uh, some good news. Uh, we'd like to welcome you, welcome you to the, as the newest senior uh, selection to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh, we want to honor you with your induction in Canton on the weekend of uh, August 5th through the 9th. And uh, you'll be immortalized forever. And, man, those words were like music to my ears. For sure. And I enjoyed hearing them. Yes, sir. 30-plus years since you retired, were there times when you wondered that this, whether or not this honor would come? Oh, yeah, most of the time. I, I, I wondered if. I wondered uh, that it wouldn't come more than it would come. Okay. So, you know, because the, the, the process is so tough. And I never uh, was, uh, when I was a modern candidate, I never made a finalist. I never was discussed in the room, even. And, uh, you know, even though I was uh, first team all decade of the 70s, and I think there's about four or five guys during the 70s that played during my time. Uh, wide receivers that are in the Hall of Fame that didn't make all decade. And so that was disturbing, and you see all that, and then you hear people say that you're the only guy on the first team of all decade uh, of the 70s not in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, you start having your doubts, and and then again, uh, Paul, the, the, uh, the process is so tough once you get lumped into the senior category. Right. And there's so many guys that are deserving, so many guys that won't get noticed, won't get talked about. And now that they uh, restrict the senior uh, category to one nominee uh, a, a year, uh, the bottleneck in that category gets even tougher. And so if you don't get in through the modern door and then you get thrown into the senior category, <laughs> good luck because there's a big, you know, big log jam there. But then you got to think about a guy like John Lynch, Paul. Right. You know, he, he, he was a finalist seven times, okay? Seven times David Baker told him. That's when they, you know, when COVID wasn't around, they took him into the 
when they had, had them into Super Bowl City and hotel rooms with your family all around you, yeah. and you get that knock on the door, and you're saying, no, you didn't make it. He did that seven times. He heard that seven times. <laughs> and so he finally get, got in. So when I hear a story like that, I say, I can't complain. You know, at right. least I didn't have that anguish to go through seven times, you know. Yeah, I wanted to get in. I'd be disappointed every time a class would go in. But, you know, to feel that anguish to be so close and be told seven times, no. <laughs> uh, I think I would want to drop out of the process at that point. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we saw your disappointment last year. Uh, you know, you had some camera crews there watch you. Um, ultimately, you said you had some regrets because of the emotion that you showed. Uh, talk about that. Sorry, Paul, what was that again? You, you talked last year, you know, you ran into a situation where you had the camera crews there with you and, you know, you were you showed your disappointment and you later said that you regretted showing that type of emotion at that time. Talk about that. Why do you regret it? Well, because I'm too private, you know. No one's ever been in my house with a camera. All these years I've been in Dallas. And uh, I've always kept my personal life very private. Uh, I was divorced one time and coaching for Coach Landry. He asked me one time, are you married or divorced? He had no idea. Because he didn't know what my first personal life was about. Uh, so I've always tried to keep that private. But I thought this was going to be a special moment. Uh, I thought it would be my way to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's the first time I was a finalist. And I thought they uh, established that uh, uh, centennial class to make up for some of the mistakes that they had made along the way and induct the group of guys in at that time uh, to make up for those mistakes and so you know i thought i was a mistake because i'm hearing i'm the only all decade guy the 70s not in and all these other things and so i'm thinking this is my turn so i invited everybody over uh like i said i worked in the media here and i told one tv guy he can come i couldn't tell the others no because i knew him i worked for him worked with him and same thing with uh, my family and friends. I wanted them to be there. So I opened myself up in that situation. It didn't go in my favor, and I was very disappointed about that. And, uh, yeah, if I had to do that again. Well, you know, when I found out eight months later in August, Paul, I was out cutting grass. You know, yeah. my phone rings. I got it in my pocket, and it actually didn't ring. It was a text message from Rick Gosselin, who has a boat. Uh, uh, a Hall of Fame vote, and he's on the senior voting committee. He texted me and said, answer the phone when it rings. And uh, I texted him back. I said, Rick, I always answer the phone when you call. But when the phone called, when the phone rang, it wasn't him. It was from Canton, Ohio. And it was Mr. David Baker telling me I was the lone senior nominee going uh, for the class of 2021. And all I needed was 80% of the vote, you know, to be going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And so I was by myself when I got that news. Uh, when I didn't get the news, I was around everybody. But the point is, it was only eight months. I had to wait from then to then. And, uh, you know, uh, my disappointment went away. It, it pretty much went away uh, after, shortly after that. I know the process. I know how hard it is. Right. And how could I feel sorry for myself, Paul, when, when Cliff Branch, okay, didn't get in? And he's not with us anymore. He had passed away. God rest his soul. You know, who, who's there to fight for him? 
Right. You know, he should be a Hall of Famer, no doubt. So you think about those kind of things, and then you say, you know, it's not so bad, and and then you know God has a better plan for you, and so you wait for that to happen, and it did happen. For sure. We're talking to Hall of Famer Drew Pearson. So let me ask you this. When you retired and, you know, you looked at your career, looked at the numbers you put up, did you say to yourself at that time, I did enough to be a Hall of Famer? Uh, yes, because I was all decade, you know. I was all decade of the 70s. You know, I done my, my time with the 70s. Uh, my last three years, I played with a different quarterback. I played with Danny White. But when my Hall of Fame quarterback was playing, the eight years I played with Roger Staubach, I was the man, you know. And 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 you got to understand, you're only the man because of some of the plays you make. You know, in our offense, we didn't have no go-to guy. You know, the, the go-to guy was whoever the play was called for, who was really the number one receiver on a particular play. And it could have been any of us. could have been me. could have been Tony Hill. Could have been Butch Johnson. It could have been uh, uh, Preston Pearson coming out of the backfield. It could have been Billy Joe Dupree. It just depends on the play. Now, if you get to, if your play is called in certain situations, now they expect you to make those plays. But you really didn't have a go-to guy like they talk about, you know, uh, nowadays. Right. But yeah, I thought I had done enough. But you know, my career was ended shortly with a car accident. I lost my brother in that accident, and I couldn't re- uh, come back to play after being critical myself and being able to overcome that. Uh, so, you know, whatever I had had to be good enough. And uh, I was hoping it was good enough. But whatever I had, uh, it was uh, uh, supported and compounded by the fact that I was all decade. Right. And so, uh, you know, that was the difference. And when I found that out, when Harvey Martin you know, God rest his soul, my teammate, my best friend. We played together 11 seasons. Uh, we came in together. We retired together uh, at the same time, along with Billy Joe Dupree. Uh, you know, I, when I made All-Decade, Harvey Martin made second team All-Decade, and we talked about it, and we said this should be our almost our guarantee, you know, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. All we got to do is finish our career strong, and maybe there's a good shot that we can get in the Hall of Fame. And to tell you the truth, uh, Paul, that's the first time I ever thought about the Hall of Fame. Okay. And I became an all-decade guy. Okay. And so then you start having a dream of that because you, you, maybe now you're good enough. So you talked about the car accident uh, with your brother that ultimately killed your brother. Did that moment come to your mind w- when you got the call? Absolutely. That moment comes to my mind daily. Okay. I live with that daily. I've been living with that for a long time. Uh, when that day comes on March 22nd, uh, I don't go out. I can't do it. I can't deal with it. I don't want to be around anybody. And, I'm, and you know, I don't want to forget it. Yeah. You know, it's that important to me. It's that tragic to me. It's that serious to me. And, uh, yeah, I live with that every day. So, uh, but, yeah, you know, I know he's up there rejoicing. Well, my dad, my mom, my other brothers and sisters. Yeah. And, so it's all good. It's nice to have some angels too, Paul. For sure. You know? For sure. For sure. Yes, sir. H- have you forgiven yourself? You think you've forgiven yourself to th- at this point? No. Okay. No. No. And if I, when I forgive myself, then I stop being myself. You know, I stop gotcha. giving back. You know, I, I, I understand there's a reason 
you know, I'm still here. And uh, the good Lord spared me for a reason. And maybe the reason is to use my platform as a Dallas Cowboy, former Dallas Cowboy, to put some joy and, and peace in somebody else's life. For sure. So, you know, my, my thing has always been when I'm around fans, they come up and ask for an autograph. I try to make that moment as special as possible. I give back to charity and, and all that kind of, kind of stuff. And I do it, you know, with that always in the back of my mind. You know, right. this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. This is why I've blessed been able to do what I've done. And, uh, you know, you, people always remember what you did. Excuse me, though. They might never remember what you did or never remember what, what you said, but they always remember how you make them feel, right. you know? Right. That, when you make them feel good or you, they, you said, they tell you you made your day, you let them put that Super Bowl ring on, take a picture with them, you know, and they go around gleaming and you run into that person five, ten years later and they still talk about that picture, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> You know, that, that's pretty cool. Right. So I try to make the fans and try to bring joy in people's lives when they meet me. And then you want to uh, get an autograph or take a picture. Or, you know, sometimes they'll even get their somebody on the phone just to say hi to somebody. And they, yeah. you know, they on the other side of the phone, on the line, and just can't believe it's they're talking to you, you know, and they're going crazy. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so it's all good. It's all good. Have you thought about, I know that's what, six, seven months away, but have you thought about your speech? Uh, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it ever since uh, uh, I've been uh, uh, told I was a senior nominee back in August. And I haven't put anything to uh, pen to uh, uh, paper yet, uh, but I got a lot of thoughts. But our speeches are supposed to be limited. You know, they're supposed to uh, limit us this year around because I okay. guess there's so many classes going in and so many speeches to do. Uh, we're not all going to do them in one day, the three different classes going in, but there's still eight speeches per class. It was seven in ours because of Bill Nunn going in posthumously. Uh, so they're limiting us to about six to eight minutes for our presentation. Okay. So... I'll see what I can fit in at <laughs> time. I'm going to have to learn how to talk fast because i got a lot to fit in. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you did win one Super Bowl with the Cowboys. You were there three times. You lost twice to those Steelers. Two very competitive games. Do you think to yourself, man, I think we were better than those teams? Of course. I think, you know, whether win or lose, I always think we're better. You know, in circumstances – Play out in every game that uh, causes you to win, and circumstances play out every game that causes you to lose. So you never feel inferior. You know, when I played the Cowboys, I never got my ass whooped. You know, I never mm -hmm. got got beat down like that. Nobody ever trounced us or anything. We were pretty much in every game that we played. And so no, even that game, you know, the Super Bowl ten, what was it, twenty one to seventeen, and. Then 34 31, you know, something like that. Yeah. You know, we're in those games. And, you know, if anybody's going to beat us, it was those two Steelers teams, you know? It was not going to be no Rudy Pooh team or one of these, some of these other teams <laughs> in the NFL. It had to be a team like the Steelers with a steel curtain with a Hall of Fame quarterback on the other side, like Stallworth, a Hall of Fame running back, two right. Hall of Fame wide receivers, 
You know, Hall of Fame <laughs> linebackers, Hall of Fame defensive tackles, Hall of Fame defensive backs. You know, that's what beat us in the Super Bowls and a Hall of Fame coach and Chuck Dole. Yeah. You know. So that's what they had going for us. But that's what it's going to take because we had great teams going in. You know, well, actually in Super Bowl ten, we were a wild card team. Nobody expected us to go to the Super Bowl. That's the year we, you know, we beat Minnesota with the Hail Mary. Yeah. Then we went to L.A. and beat them in the championship game, 37 to 6 or something like that. And, you know, we were the first wild card team to go to the Super Bowl. And so we're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers and no one gave us a chance, but we had the lead. In that game, they came back and won, and they beat us 21-17. to We gave them all they they could handle, and uh, we just made some plays uh, on offense uh, that we shouldn't have made or wish we hadn't made or we'd like to take back. But, you know, Paul, we're the Cowboys. We never admit defeat. (laughs) (laughs) We never admit that. (laughs) Somebody's better than us. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I'm, I'm just looking we're at you. Ar- we're too arrogant for that. And that's that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, let me you ask gotta, you this. You got to be doing something to be arrogant. Ain't no, ain't no uh, uh, third teamers arrogant. <laughs> I'm looking at your numbers. 489 receptions, 7,800 yards, over 7,800 yards, 48 touchdowns. We look at today's game. You can't do the things – that they did back in the day when you played. So what kind of numbers would Drew Pearson put up in 2020? Well, I don't know, uh, Paul. You know, I was asked this the other day on the honor show and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, what we went against is totally different from what these guys are going against, from the rules to the quality of uh, defensive backs. Uh, playing in the game then and now, and then uh, the the type of game it was. It was a running back game back then. That's when a lot of the great running backs came through the National Football League. The Barry Sanders, the the Walter Paytons, the Franco Harris's, Tony Dorsett, the O.J. Simpsons, uh, man, you know, on and on. The Jim Kick, the Larry Zonkers, the Murphy Morris's, and Washington Risk, and Larry Brown, and uh, Otis Anderson, uh, and a lot of, you know, it was a running back league back then, right. and that's what teams did. And a lot of the reasons they did that is because the way the rules were in a defensive secondary with a defensive back could do anything they want to you as long as the ball was in the air. They could actually cut, cut your legs out from under you right at the line of scrimmage. You know, they can run up to you like you, they're going to cover you or chuck you and then drop and cut your legs out from under you. So what is this, you know? You couldn't do that in college, but you can do that in pros. But anyway, it's very difficult, you know, to run routes, get off the line of scrimmage and get down in the secondary and in the three, three, three seconds or three and a half seconds that you had to run a pass route and, uh, 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 and make that happen on a seven-step drop. So, you know, it, it was very difficult. Then you had quality defensive backs. I played against Hall of Famers like Mel Blunt. Uh, Willie Wood, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Emmett Thomas, you know, there's a lot of great, uh, Pat Fisher was in the Hall of Famer from the risk, and he was only 5'8", but one of the toughest defensive backs I played against. Roger Worley, he was a, he's a Hall of Famer. I played against him. I scored my second touchdown in the NFL against Roger Worley on a post pattern against St. Louis in St. Louis. Uh, 
So, you know, I mean, the quality of defensive backs, the type of game it was and the rules, you know, you could you can just uh, think about and the type of numbers that you would put up in those kind of situations if, uh, you know, if you played in that era uh, or in this era. Then you think about, will those receivers that are playing in this era be able to survive in the era right. that we played in? And I'm thinking maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> So looking at looking at the current Cowboys now, um, you know, ultimately they have to make a decision with Dak Prescott. It appears that, you know, according to some reports, he probably is going to be back. According to Drew Pearson, is that the right move to bring Dak back and, and, and have him as the quarterback going forward? Yep. What else are they going to do? True. You know, nobody else out there. I mean, he, he deserves the opportunity to come back. And when he does come back, the Cowboys know this better than anybody. They're going to come back bigger, stronger, and better than ever, more determined than ever, and be a better quarterback than he has been to, that, to the point of the injury. And they know that because they see him over there working out. They see where his development has gone. You know, Dak is not shy. He's always at that practice field all the time, uh, training. He's the motivation. He gets the other guys to show up and work out. And uh, I'm sure his progress is a lot better as far as his rehabilitation and recovery is a lot further ahead than a lot of people expect because that's that. He's going to, he's going to uh, uh, do more than what's required in the uh, uh, rehab and all that. And, you know, then you got to look at what he's done to this pet, uh, point when he's in, when he is healthy, you know, he had one season, 5,000 yards and uh, uh, pro bowl, playoffs uh you know 5000 yards in one year and when he had 30 the receivers dropped 36 passes to sit that season you know and so yeah you know so he's a quality quarterback and if the cowboys don't sign him and let him go you know they're taking a chance because somebody else will grab him in a in a new york minute and he'll have success wherever he goes if they put the right people around him and he's a quality person. He's the one you want needing your football team. You know, he For looks sure. good. He says the right things. Uh, that's why national TV giving them uh, 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 commercial opportunities. You know, on a national level, he don't do no commercials here in Dallas. He does his commercial. They run here in Dallas. You know, but all <laughs> his commercials are national. And so, you know, he's that quality person. They don't associate themselves. Corporate America doesn't associate themselves with people that don't think, you know, present that right image that they're trying to look for. And he presents that. And he's that right image that Jerry Jones knows that he wants to represent the Cowboys. So to make a long story short, yes, the Cowboys will sign back first. Is he elite to you? He'll, he'll, yeah, he'll be a rich man. <laughs> Is he an elite quarterback to you? Yes, he is. Always had there. Even when the people were doubting him. And I said, I'm looking at him. I said, what do you want? He's a winner. You know, he might not wow you with the stats. Then they said he can't throw the deep ball. One year he led the deep pass, the, the deep pass in, in, in accuracy, throwing downfield in ac pass accuracy, you know. Then he says he can't, he can't lead or he can't win the big game and, and stuff like that. You know, when we lost tough games that cost us to go – when the NFC East, uh, you know, we didn't lose them because of Dak. You know, we defense mostly couldn't stop other teams. So I think he's an, he's, uh, an elite quarterback. And just think about – but the problem – more than that, I think he's a winner. 
that's what I associate eliteness with. Okay. You know, when he was at Mississippi State, he took them to number one in the country. He beat Alabama, okay? Mississippi State, okay? <laughs> Let me ask you, Paul, what has Mississippi State won since Dak left, okay? <laughs> what did they win before he got there? You know, nothing and nothing, right. okay? <laughs> they had the greatest run in their history of their football program was when Dak was there. So, anyway, uh, he's a winner. And I think that makes him an elite quarterback. Were you surprised by what you saw in Super Bowl 55, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers beating the Chiefs 31 to 9? Not really. You know, uh, how, do you, how do you be surprised what Tom Brady can do or has done or will do? You know, uh, sooner or later, <laughs> you have to believe in the guy. You know, how could you keep doubting him or betting against him? Uh, but, you know, he had two weeks to prepare to attack that Kansas City Chief defense. He saw some things there. You know, look at the way they used Gronk. You know, they haven't used him that way, as far as I know, all season. Right. And Gronk looked great, you know, like, in most, like his old self, like he was 100% healthy, running, looked quick and uh, fast out there running. Uh, but, yeah, they just, you know, you give Brady that much time to – Worked with By- Brian- Byron Leftwich, their offensive coordinator, and coming up with a game plan, a strategy to attack that defense. Uh, you know, you're going to come up with a good pro, uh, a good game plan to attack them, and then it's a matter of going out there and execute that game plan. And, and they did; they executed that thing almost to perfection. They didn't put up the gaudy numbers, but they got the right numbers, right. you know, when they needed them. When they got in that red zone, they scored touchdowns. They didn't kick field goals. The Kansas City kicks scores touchdowns and kicking up, instead of kicking up field goals, when they got down there for the first nine points, you know, they would have been in the game. would have been a different football game from appearance and maybe gave them a little more motivation and, and confidence in what they were doing. But they went down there and kicked field goals, and while – uh, uh, Tampa was going down there. They were scoring touchdowns, and that you know that made a difference. Seven Super Bowl for Tom Brady. Is he the goat? Yes, he is. Okay. Yep. You know that's the criteria in this business: wins. It ain't stats. It ain't Drew Brees stats. It ain't uh, Aaron Rodgers stats and all this. You know, I know they've won Super Bowls and all that, but you know. Roger Staubach has two. Terry Bradshaw's got four, okay? You know, nobody even talks about him being one of the greatest. Why not? You know, he's got four. But, uh, yeah, I think that's the criteria of uh, being the greatest of all time, and it should be that uh, when it's associated to team victory, especially for a quarterback, you know. Maybe for a wide receiver's uh, stats, you know, Jerry Rice, without a doubt, uh, is the greatest wide receiver of all time. And you don't know how tough it is for me to admit that I'm not, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I have that much respect for Jerry Rice that, you know, for what he's done. And, you know, and mostly it's about the numbers, but he's got Super Bowl championships on under his belt as well. So, but I think it's more of the uh, the number of Super Bowls for, that you win for a quarterback. And so I, that's why I say Tom Brady is the GOAT. So going back to the Hall of Fame, have you decided who's going to present you at this point? Uh, no, I haven't decided yet. You know, I'm still working on that. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let people know that in, in due time. Okay. 
and I know, you know, usually the Hall of Famers have a big party, but who knows with the big COVID situation and everything. Have you have you talked about or looked at any of that stuff? No, you know, this is we this is all new right now. Right. You know. Uh there's all there's still a lot to do and a lot of conversations you're supposed to have with the Hall committee and all that to let you know what's available and what you need to do and when you need to do it and that type of thing. But we haven't got those uh, 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 orders yet, those those papers yet, so that information yet. So uh, looking forward to all that and knowing what the process is all about and doing whatever they tell me I need to do. So what's going on with Drew Pearson today? Well, you know, I'm involved in a few things. Mostly I'm just chilling and enjoying my life at 70 years old. I got three great kids. I got five grandkids, uh, two that play college football, one at Southeastern Oklahoma State in uh, Oklahoma. He's a uh, wide receiver. And another one is a free safety uh, for the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, and, you know, so I live through them, go to their games, follow them. And I uh, do uh, an online business, CowboyLegends.com. If you're looking for Cowboy Legendary merchandise, like a Starbucks T-shirt or hat or Hail Mary hat and things of that nature, go to CowboyLegends.com. It's uh, licensed and blessed by the Dallas Cowboys. I have an airport restaurant, Drew Pearson Sports 88, in Dallas uh, International Airport. I uh, partner with a company called Concessions International on that. And I just started what you're doing. I'm, I'm starting a podcast. Okay. The Ultimate Hail Mary. Right. Journey to Ultimate in, uh, Immortality with Drew Pearson, the original number 88. So tune in <laughs> for that, okay? So, so a lot of great stuff going on with, with, with Drew Pearson. Make sure you also go to DrewPearson.com. It's got a lot of great things going on there. Follow him on Twitter yes, at, at 88DrewPearson and support all the great things going on with Hall of Famer Drew Pearson. So you talked about that Hall, that Hail Mary. I mean, did you, at that time, did you think that moment would be what it was and what it turned out to be? Yeah. Hey, Paul, I got to get running. So okay. let's get into this before I, you know, let's get this because we got to talk about the Hail Mary. Okay. All right. You know, <laughs> that's important. But uh, you don't know how many interviews I've been doing since uh, since I got back from uh, the Super Bowl. You know, everybody's so excited. And I try to do as many as I can, you know, For sure. Uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of fans want to know how you feel in different parts of the country, like I've done El Paso, San Antonio, Waco. And, uh, I did one this morning in Saskatchewan, Canada. Wow. <laughs> and they're saying how, you know, I'm waiting to go on. They're saying how cold it is up there. You know, they're talking minus degrees, you know. And when I did the interview, I could feel the chill, you know, <laughs> through my phone. <laughs> it was so cold. But anyway, I try to do as many. And one of the things they talk want to hear about more than anything, uh, Paul, is that Hail Mary, you know, because that's such a big play. And what people still talk about now, we just had the 45th anniversary of that catch, you know, December 28, 1975. What were you doing, Paul? Uh, I think I was uh, <laughs> in my mama's belly. 
<laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, but uh, that was the day uh, I caught the Hail Mary. We were up in Minnesota. We were a wild card team. We had to go up there to play the Vikings, but they had the best record in the National Football League. And, uh, man, they were a good team. Uh, they got Hall of Famers on that, that were on that defense and offense as well. And uh, they're a veteran team. Not many rookies ever made the Vikings. They're always the last thing the team to go to training camp because they're all veterans. You know, they ran the same thing over and over, uh, the same system, Bud Grant. And he didn't want to wear them out in training camp, so he only brought them into training camp when he had to. And so we had to go up there to play then. It was cold. It was dreary, overcast, snow on the ground. And uh, no one gave us a chance to win. We had to lead at halftime. Uh, 10 to 7, and they scored late in the game to make it 14 to 10. And now, you know, we needed a touchdown. We got a minute or so left. We needed a touchdown. Actually, it's about two minutes. Needed a touchdown uh, to win the game. And you're going against a great Viking defense. So we we had some trouble moving the football upfield, Paul, but we got it to midfield. Uh, uh, and uh, actually, we had a, before we got it to midfield, we had a fourth down and 17. Fourth down and 17. You hear what I said, Paul? <laughs> Fourth and 17. You know, against a Viking defense that, man, come on. These are all veterans. There's no way they're going to let you add a, a 14 and 7, fourth and 17 situation. But we knew them so well. And to their fault, because they were so veteran and so experienced, they never changed what they did. They just tried to do it so well that. You know, by by that familiarity, anticipating because of that, they figured they could beat you that way. Uh, so we knew what they were going to play. So on fourth and seventeen, Roger told me to run a post corner on Nate Wright, and we wanted to run it on Nate Wright because even though he's being a prevent defense, if I came into his area, he was going to pick me up man to man. And so that's from our preparation. That's from them doing that all the time. And so when I came off the line, I ran that post. He bit on that post. I broke it back to the corner. And on fourth and 17, Roger hit me on the sideline for 22 yards in the first down. And this was two plays before the Hail Mary. We don't hit this game over. And, uh, you know, history is uh, written totally different. So we get back to the huddle two plays later. We've now uh, second and 10, no timeouts, about 32 seconds left on the clock. And uh, when I caught the Hail Mary, it was 24 seconds left on the clock. Uh, but, you know, Roger uh, pumped Golden Richards, and then he threw the ball down to me. I ran a turn and takeoff this time on Nate Wright. Roger told me to run a turn and takeoff again on Nate Wright. Again, I know he died on the turn it, and now he can go deep because he picked me up on the man coverage when you come in his area. And this is what we knew. And so he did it. He played it. He didn't even change from getting burnt on the fourth and 17 for 22 yards. You think he might change up the defense, <laughs> but they're so veteran, so confident in what they did, Paul. You know, they just ran the same defense again. And so it played in our favor. And when Roger threw the ball back to me, uh, uh, came back to, to throw the ball to me, it was underthrown. I saw that and I brought the outside arm around. Uh, doing that swim move the receivers like to use to get inside position on the defensive back. And in doing that, there was contact. I had momentum going. He had momentum going. And this is football. Yeah, there's going to be contact. 
And he happened to go down with that contact. And of course, Viking fans think I pushed him. <laughs> thinking, how can I push him? The ball, when I, after I, they say I pushed him, then I brought my hands around. The ball hit my hands. It went through my hands. And I caught the ball between my elbow and my hip. Now, how could I do all that? A push, ball go through my hands and catch it with my elbow and hip you know, <laughs> on one play if I push somebody. But anyway, uh, I don't think I pushed. He thinks I pushed. And back into the end zone call, and that was a touchdown. And you know why it was called Hail Mary? After the game, the reporters asking Roger what happened. He said, I threw the ball as far as I could. I closed my eyes, and I said a Hail Mary. <laughs> and then next day in the Dallas paper, headlines read, Cowboys win by a Hail Mary. And that's how we started taking off from there. And you hear it everywhere now. It's all over sports. It's all over a uh, business world. It's all over personal lives. It's all over the charitable uh, lives. Uh, it's everywhere. And it's a situation, Paul, you probably caught a few yourself. You know, it's a situation where your back's against the wall and looks like all loss or I might fail this test. Uh, somebody right. needs braces. Where am I going to get this money to pay the rent? You know, some way, somehow you overcome those situations and how'd you do it? You go to hell, Mary. <laughs> oh the hell man. <laughs> Where's that ball? Is that in the Hall of Fame? Do you have a you, you don't have that, right? No, I don't have it. I threw it over the scoreboard. Okay. I uh, got rid of the evidence, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and uh, I threw it over the scoreboard. You know, I was a quarterback in high school and quarterback for two years in college. I threw three touchdown passes in the NFL. You know, then they don't talk about that, but I threw three touchdown passes in the NFL, so I want to show off my arm in this playoff game on national TV. So I heaved it over. over. I thought I was throwing it in the stands, but that part of the, the stadium, there was no stands. So it kind of just went off into the uh, into the parking lot. And I guess no one's ever found it since then. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. No one's ever up to me and said, this is the ball. So you never know where it is now. Yeah, maybe they found it and they're waiting to auction it off somewhere. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> So, Drew, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you, sir. Wish you, wish you nothing but the Thank best you. of luck going forward. We'd love to do it again. Take care of yourself. You got it, Paul. Hey, I appreciate the conversation, man. Likewise. Good job, you know. Appreciate that. I don't that. know what you're going to do in this business, but you sound really good, and I appreciate the homework you did and all that. And I, pre I appreciate the time that you spent with me, okay? Thank you, Be sir. Be safe, my brother. Take care of yourself. All right. All right, bye-bye. All right, you too.